right, right on. This is my church. Yeah, yours too. Good. Awesome. Anybody? Yeah, it's awesome. Cool. So uh, thanks for being here today. It's, it's, uh, we've got some great stuff going on these days. Just to let you know, I know you're Sunday morning types, but on Saturday nights right now, from now through the new year, we're doing a thing called Fall into Saturdays. And on Saturday nights, we've got the chairs kind of bunched in close, and we've got a fire pit outside, and we've got, after gatherings, we have a hot cocoa, hot cider bar. Uh-huh. It was fantastic last night. Last night was night one, so if you want to check out Saturday nights, that might be a fun thing for you. So just to let you know. Uh, there's a place in Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, where, it said, where God says, I'm doing a new thing. And uh, there, I think one of God's heartbeats is he does new things among us and, and all the time. And sometimes when new things come, we're like, hey, I like the old thing. You know, but new things come, and I want to tell you about a new thing for us. God's doing a new thing in one of our team members who's going to leave our team uh, coming up shortly. Lisa Tudor's been with us for about the last 12 years, in, her and her family here at Lakeside. And, uh, and Lisa's been on staff about six and a half years working in inreach ministries. Primarily, that's working with adults, helping us grow up in our faith, uh, helping small groups and grow groups go forward, and those kinds of things. She's done a fantastic job. And I think the Lord's doing something new in her life, and uh, so she's going to be leaving our team the end of November. I want you to know about it. She's going to be in the lobby at the end. You can talk to her and, and uh, give her a blessing as she gets ready to uh, make a transition. But I want you to pray for her and seek God's goodness for her. I'm proud of her and all the things that she's done among us. So sad to see her uh, transition off the team. But again, God does those things, and it's like, all right, Lord, what do you want to do next? So we'll tell you more about that as we go along, but I want you to know that that's coming, okay? And then uh, yesterday was a special day. Any, any veterans in the house? Yeah, hey, if you're a, I'll tell you, yeah, yeah, oh, good. <laughs> if you're a veteran or active in the military these days, why don't you stand up for us, would you? We'd love to thank you for what you do. You always want to sit down so soon. Uh, it's your, you're right. It's your privilege. So anyway, thank you. I, I, I sort of feel like I should have everybody else stand up because everyone wants to stand and applaud for you anyway, but then we wouldn't know who's who. So uh, anyway, so for all of you who have served our country so well and so faithfully, thank you for what you have done and what you are doing. I uh, got to go to the Veterans Day Parade yesterday. Got to see a lot of you out there at the parade with your Girl Scouts and your Boy Scouts and your dance teams and other stuff, a lot of really fun stuff. I love, I love our little town. It's not quite so little anymore, but I just love our little town of Folsom. We've got our own little veterans parade. Really awesome. So a lot of good stuff. All right, let's see. I think that's all I need to give you. Let's, let's look into Scripture together. We're going to look into Matthew 23 today. If you want to check that out, I'll remind you when we get to it. We're not going to see it quite yet, but that's where we're heading today. I want to begin by telling you this. The talk that I'm about to give you today got Jesus crucified. So I'm a little nervous. <laughs> Actually, I'm really nervous. So I, I, I go away. I'm going away this afternoon for a planning retreat. I do this a few times a year. Just get away and get off site and start thinking about and praying about, God, what do you want to do among us in the days ahead? What do, you want, what do you want to say to us? What part of your scripture do you want us to think about? And things like that. And so last January, I was writing out this whole series in the book of Matthew, which we've been doing together for the last 11 weeks now. 
And I thought, oh, it's going to be so great to talk about Matthew and how Matthew talks about how the kingdom of heaven surprises us, sort of sneaks up on us sometimes. And there's all this great stuff in Matthew, but there's, but there's 28 chapters and all those chapters, each of those chapters has a lot of information in it. It's like you can't cover it all without spending about three years in it. And so we're going to have to pick and choose. And so for 12 weeks, what are we going to do? And I'm going through all those passages in Matthew. And I got to Matthew 23. And I'm like, oh, we have to talk about this. Nobody ever talks about this. We should talk about this one. And it sounded like such a great idea back in January. <laughs> and then I'm getting ready to give it to you this weekend. And I'm like, oh, this got Jesus killed. It's not that great. We should just skip to chapter 24 or, so, I don't know, something like that. Uh, it's just an interesting thing. Now, I have to, I have to tell you, as I start this, uh, I'm going to preach this sermon to me. All right? So uh, this is for me. And so you can listen. But so when, in, when you get to Matthew 23, Jesus is talking to religious leaders. I know we, a lot of times we go, hey, we're going to have a leaders meeting at Lakeside, and nobody shows up because everyone goes, I'm not a leader. Yeah, well, I am. And so I'm going to give this talk to me. Jesus, gave, Jesus saved his harshest words for religious leaders. It's ridiculous. So I'm going to give this talk to me. So if you want to stay and listen, you can. It might be very entertaining. <laughs> And I'm going to give it to you who are also religious leaders. Now, some of you, some of you will actually claim that role. If you, if you lead a grow group or if you lead a ministry team or something, you're a follower of Jesus and you're leading somebody else and you're a religious leader. So I'm going to give this talk to you as well. So there's a few of us in the room that this will land on us. And then, uh, you know, if you're just religious in general, you might want to stay and listen too because it probably relates to you too. And some of you go, I'm not religious. I just love Jesus. You know, get that little thing going. It's like, look, can I just help you out? If you love Jesus, you're, by definition, you're religious. So if, if that's your category, you might want to listen also because it may be for you. It's, it's first for me. But then maybe for some... I'm not going to shake the mirror at you. Sorry, but... And then if you're a guest and you're like, I'm not religious at all. I just showed up because someone said they'd take me to brunch after church, which is a good gig. If someone offered that to you, you should take it. But if you're not really religious, you can just hang out and watch the fun as, as we tell what Jesus said that got him crucified when he talked to the religious folks. Okay, that's where we're heading today, and uh, we're going to see how this goes. Oh, we have a live scriber today. Did you all meet Judy? Nice. <laughs> Give the dude some hair. <laughs> My friend Judy Daniels on the live scribing today. <laughs> I liked him better without hair. <laughs> All right. All right, we're in Matthew 23. Do you have a Bible with you? Bring your Bible and uh, open your Bible up, Matthew chapter 23. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, you can pull out your smartphone and follow along in the version Bible app. You got a... Man, what is that? That's a laptop for the world or something right there. Yeah, thank you. All right. So uh, Matthew chapter 23, and uh, remember, so we're talking about the book of Matthew, and we're going through this whole series about Jesus where we're talking about how the kingdom of heaven surprises us, and Jesus is now in Jerusalem. You remember several weeks ago, we talked about the idea that Jesus was a Galilean. 
He was Jewish, but he was from Galilee. He grew up in Nazareth. He made his hometown when he grew up in Capernaum. So he's a Galilean. And there's the Judeans. They live in the southern part of Israel, up in the mountains in, uh, in Jerusalem and around Jerusalem. And there's a particular group of people that are, that are based in Judea, and they had a perspective on the world. They were known as Pharisees and, and Sadducees. There was another group called Herodians who we don't hear as much about, but they're in there as well. They're sort of like religious political parties. We have Republicans and Democrats. They had Pharisees and Sadducees and the Herodians, and they were, they were religious parties, and they, and they landed on certain theological things and ways to practice their religion, things like that. And they were Judeans primarily. They came with a Judean perspective. They came with the perspective of the dominant group in the culture. And they were not where Jesus was from. Jesus was Galilean. Jesus was seen by them as an outsider. Jesus was seen by them as different, even though he was Jewish. And now, at the end of his life, this is now the last week of Jesus' life in Matthew 23. At the end of his life, Jesus comes back to Jerusalem. And they've been waiting for him. In fact, when he came in on Sunday, they, they got so excited that he was there because they thought he's the king of the Jews. And so they, they started cutting down branches from, uh, from palm trees and putting them on the ground so he could come in and his donkey wouldn't even have to touch the ground. They were so excited about having Jesus in and now we call that Palm Sunday. They didn't call it that before. Now he comes in and now it's maybe Tuesday of that week that maybe a couple of days after uh, coming into town on Palm Sunday and he's been in the temple and, and the Pharisees got together and they started asking him questions because they wanted to trap him in what he said. And then the Sadducees got together, and they, and they asked him questions because they wanted to trap him in what he said. And then the, the Herodians teamed up with the Pharisees, and they asked him questions trying to trap him in what he said. And when Jesus didn't stumble in anything that he said, then Jesus began to ask them questions. And when he had them all gathered together, and there was a crowd gathered around, because it was really interesting. When Jesus talked to the Pharisees, it was always interesting. So a crowd gathered around, and then Jesus addressed the crowd and his disciples about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians and the teachers of the law. And here's how it begins. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are, you to call, nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. As you go through the story of Jesus, you find the Pharisees always end up on the wrong side of the kingdom story. Whatever they do, they seem to end up on the wrong side of where Jesus is heading and where he wants his kingdom to go. And so he addresses the crowd that's around him. He addresses his disciples and he says, watch out for the Pharisees. 
He goes, they sit in the seat of Moses, so they're the teachers, so you have to do what they say, but don't do what they do because they don't practice what they preach. I mean, who is he talking to? He's talking to guys like me saying, you got to practice what you preach. He says, they tie, they, they put these big burdens on people. They tie this great burden. They put them on other people's shoulders, and then they won't even lift a finger to help them. Jesus is saying for a religious leader, the number one thing you have to do is be helpful. And here's Jesus. He's this provocative teacher. But he's saying to their teachers, their Pharisees, like, you guys, you got to help people. It's got to be about that. He says they make their phylacteries big. Oh. Well, you know. You know what phylacteries are? How's your phylactery? by the way. He makes it, don't know. Yeah, he, made, he said they make their phylacteries big. So what's a phylactery? A phylactery is a, a little leather box that Jewish men and boys will wear when they go to prayers in the synagogue in the morning. And inside that little leather box is a little tiny scripture passage so they can remember the scripture. And they go, oh, I've got this tied to my head. It's really, it's really hard to forget that you've got some, a box tied to your head. So like, like if I put a scripture in there, that's going to remind me that I have to be faithful to the law of God. It was a really great concept designed to, to develop devotion among those people. But for the Pharisees, they, you know, they're like, well, if a small box is good, a big box is better. So they made big phylacteries. You know, so people are looking around and go, wow, what a nice phylactery. <laughs> Today, we can just carry scripture in our in our pocket or our purse with a smartphone but they they carried it in a box they would put it on their forehead or they'd wrap it around their arm and carry that with them as a demonstration of their devotion but it became much more about the demonstration than it did about the devotion he says you make your phylacteries big so everyone will go wow you love the seats of honor you go to the marketplace, you love the place of honor, you love, the, you love the terms of respect, you love it when people call you rabbi or father or teacher, you love all that stuff. And I go, oh, where's the mirror? Because I love all that stuff. I'm like, who doesn't want to be treated with honor? I, I, I do. I mean, when, when, when someone treats you honorably, don't you enjoy that? Here's the Pharisees, they seek that out. We had a man in our church for quite a while. He, he would come in on the weekend, and, and I, don't, I don't know what was going on, but he would just, like, go straight toward the Kids Fest department. And, he'd, and I'd be in the lobby greeting people and stuff, and he'd see me from a distance, and he'd go, Hey, Father! Like, I always think, of, you know, the scripture is like, don't, don't call me Father. You know, and I know it's probably from a Catholic background in his past or something like that. So, hey, Father, that was really, it was like a thing of honor for him. I just, I never corrected him. It was like, I didn't want to chase him down and go, don't call me that! It was, it's kind of cool to be honored, but I get what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees. They like, they like the place of honor. They like being known in the public. Two years ago, I went to the Veterans Parade. I guess it goes pretty close to my house. We just walk down the street and get to watch. It's, it's pretty fun. I, and, you know, you guys are all out there with your kids walking in the parade. It's pretty fun. And so two years ago, I thought, I'm going to wear my son. I got a, a sweatshirt from my son's time in the Navy. It's a, you know, Navy blue. It's got big gold letters that say Navy. And I'm just going to, I'm going to go support my son and be encouraging and say yay to all the veterans and all the Boy Scouts and all the, you know, good stuff. And, and in the course of that parade, dozens of people came, kept coming up to me and grabbing my hand and go, thank you for your service. I'm like, no, 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 I didn't serve. And I'm trying to explain it to them. And they're like, they're gone to the next veteran. You know, they, they don't... They, 
So I, I, I just felt guilty, you know, so I'm like, I'm never wearing the Navy sweatshirt to a veteran's thing again. I wore giant orange yesterday, you know, I'm, I'm, a giant, I'm sporting the Giants colors, you know, yesterday. And this guy walks up to me, and he comes straight to me, and he grabs my hand, and he goes, thank you for your service. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not a veteran. He goes, no, thank you for your service at Lakeside. <laughs> like, well, who doesn't like that? And here's the Pharisees, and he, and he said, you guys, you pursue that. You chase after that with your life. He says to those of us who are listening, he says, don't be like that. They love to be big shots. We talked about big shots last weekend. They love to be big shots in the world. And it's easy to mock them. It's easy to mock others for when they get it messed up. It's easy to mock other people of faith when they get it mess, messed up. Uh, I was in Jerusalem about 10 years ago and I uh, was in a hotel lobby about 3 o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday. And the Sabbath starts on Saturday, but the way Jews consider it, it goes evening and morning. Remember Genesis chapter 1? There was evening and there was morning the first day, so they count their days starting when the sun goes down. And so on, the, on Friday when the sun goes down, that's the beginning of the Sabbath. But now it's like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The sun doesn't go down anywhere at 3 o'clock in the afternoon unless you're in like the North Pole or something, you know. So, so I'm like, the sun's out bright and I'm working on a laptop. I'm not working. Well, no, that was a problem. <clears throat> I'm not really working. I'm writing a, a note. I'm writing an email to my wife who's not with me on the trip. And I'm just telling her I love her and, you know, communi- you know good, good husband communication with the wife process, right? And I'm typing. Next thing I know, I'm being yelled at. And I looked up, and there's this guy standing there all dressed in black. He's got a little baby in his arm. I don't know what that's about, but he's yelling at me. He's like, you're breaking the Sabbath. You're breaking the Sabbath. I'm like, I'm just talking to my wife. He's like, well, it's breaking the Sabbath because you're doing it on a computer. And so I'm like, uh, but, but the sun's not down. He goes, Sabbath starts at 3 o'clock. And he's just yelling at me. I'm, I'm like, I'm just talking to my wife. He goes, you should go upstairs. The hotel will give you a room. You can go upstairs and break the Sabbath. That doesn't seem to make sense to me, you know, and, and that was my journey. And it's easy to go, that guy's got it wrong. But it's so hard to see hypocrisy in a mirror. We all get it wrong. Beware the religious leader who goes, I got this dialed. I got it all worked out. Beware of that person. Because we don't. We don't have it all right. And when we think we have it all right, we're proving that we don't have it all right. Jesus says to the crowd, watch out for people like that. Watch out for people like us when we get like that. Watch out for people like us when we get like that. Jesus goes on and he gives some more words now directly to the Pharisees and to the teachers of the law. And I want you to see these and we'll talk about how it relates to us. So verse 13, Jesus begins a list of what are known as the seven woes of Jesus. Here they are. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves don't enter. 
nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win one single convert. And when you've succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, it is, he is bound by that oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. But you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. You say, if we'd lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. So go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. I told you, didn't I, that this is the speech that got Jesus killed? You see why? And it's interesting because when you come to these seven woes, when I, I don't know how you think about this, but when I hear the word woe, I'm thinking, oh, that's a word of judgment. It's a word of condemnation. Woe to you. But literally, it's a word that means I'm horrified over you. Jesus looked at, at the patterns and the practices and the habits of the Pharisees and the religious leaders, and he was heartbroken for them. He was horrified at the track that they were on. And he looked at their lives and he said, your lives are full of religious malpractice. You're the spiritual leaders and you're leading people down a bad path. And Jesus himself is saying, if I don't address this with you, I will be guilty of spiritual malpractice. And so he lays it out. He goes, I'm horrified about these things. And how many of these things land straight on us? It's frightening to me how many of them do. Verse 13, he says, you shut the door of heaven in people's faces. And I go, we don't do that. We invite people in all the time. We want everyone in. He goes, you shut the door of heaven in people's faces. You don't let them go in, and you're not going in either. And we go, no, no, no. I, I know I'm going to heaven because I trusted Jesus as my Savior. I, I get it. I know, I know how it works. I did the ABCs of faith. I get that. But know this. The Pharisees were exactly as confident in their entrance into heaven as we are. Jesus said, you shut the door in front of them. We sometimes define so narrowly who gets in and who stays out as if it was our place to decide that. 
And sometimes we decide that simply by what tribe somebody's in. You know, we ask you every weekend to fill out the connect cards. We say, hey, write your name down there and, and uh, you know, tell us if there's something we can pray for you about and those kinds of things. And we've been doing that for years and years. And several years ago, somebody uh, among us wrote on their connect card. They said, hey, my, my friend has cancer. And, uh, and so we need to pray for him to get better from cancer. And, and also, he's Catholic, so he doesn't know the Lord. So we need to pray for that, too. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, how do you know just because of someone's tribe that they don't know the Lord, they don't love, the, they don't love Jesus? How can you say that? How do you know? Now, you might know they don't love Jesus, but you can't just say, well, they're in a different tribe than I'm in, so they're out. What is that? That's shutting the door to heaven in people's faces. Verse 15, he says, you travel the world to make a single convert. Like, oh, we do that. Don't, I mean, we, we send missionaries all over the place. I've, I've, I've traveled around the world visiting our missionaries and encouraging them and going, keep bringing the gospel, man. Keep making it happen. That's fantastic. I spent a year in the Philippines as a missionary trying to bring people to faith in Jesus. We travel the world to make a single convert. And then Jesus says, and then you make them twice as much a son of hell as you are. How does that happen? We're all about outreach. We're all about, we, we, have to, we have to win as many people as possible. For Christ's sake, we have to do that. And then we make them twice as much a son of hell as we are. There's a phrase that goes around some brands of Christian churches where, where you know, we, we put a lot of money and a lot of energy and time into, into a project. And we, and we go, and somebody will say, well, if, if one person comes to faith in Christ through this, it'll all be worth it. And we, we put thousands of dollars into Blitz every year and, and thousands of man hours into Blitz to bring 1,500 children to our campus. And, and many of them are going to put their faith in Christ. And somebody inevitably will go, if one, person puts their, if one child puts their faith in Christ, it'll all be worth it. And I'm like, absolutely, that's true. And hopefully there's way more than one. But what if there were only one? And we could take that money and use it differently to reach a thousand people for Jesus. Shouldn't we do that? We travel the world to make a convert, but we won't go talk to our next door neighbor about how much we love Jesus. Isn't that weird? Verse 16. He goes on a little roll where he calls them blind, blind Pharisee, blind men, blind guides, blind fools. Like, that's not making them happy. But then he talks about how they split hairs and they fudge their oaths. Instead of just telling the truth, instead of being counted on for their word, like, I'll do this, and then you do it, you actually do it, or I'll go there, and then you actually go there, when you, you know... Instead of just doing what you said, they hedge their oaths. I swear by the temple... And then you come back on him, you go, hey, you, you know, you didn't follow through. He goes, yeah, but I didn't swear by the gold in the temple. And that's like crossing your fingers behind your back. Stick a needle in your eye. It's like, that's just so you don't have to tell the truth. He says, how blind can you be when you try and hedge your bets on the things that you're doing and you justify yourselves? And how often do we justify our own sinful behavior? Whether it's a lack of character, a lack of integrity, a lack of keeping our word, whatever those things are, and we justify, we go, well, yeah, but I had these circumstances. 
In verse 23, he says, you tithe from your spice rack. Do you do that? You, do you have a spice rack? Six of you? Will the rest of you, you eat bland food? I don't know anybody who's, who tithed on their spice rack. I don't, I don't cook, but we have a spice rack. We got, I, you know, I don't, we have pepper. <laughs> I don't even know what we have in there, you know. He, Jesus goes, you got mint and dill and cumin. You got those things, and you tithe on them. Like you're following the law right down to the letter for your spices. You're tithing your spices. He goes, woo-hoo, right on, good job. You should do that. But in the process of doing that, you've neglected the weightier issues of the law justice and mercy and faithfulness the little things matter but the big things matter even more and you're all focused on the little things but you're missing the big picture it's so easy for us in our world as jesus followers to get focused on the little things and to miss the big picture justice mercy faithfulness There's a big uproar these days about the national anthem. You heard this? Of course you've heard this. It's everywhere. Everyone's all been out of shape about NFL players who don't stand up for the national anthem. And I know it's Veterans Day, and I love the national anthem. We, we sometimes stand up when we're, when we're watching a game, like in our living room, and the anthem comes on, and we'll come over and watch and stand there and watch the anthem being performed. I'm a stander. But if you stand for the national anthem and you don't stand for the Galileans, none of it matters for Christ's sake. The the Galileans are the ones who are different from us. The Galileans are the ones who are not the dominant party. The Galileans are the ones who are the outsiders. And Jesus says, let's stand for them. Stand for the anthem. Fantastic. But let's stand for the Galileans at the same time. Verse 25, he says, you wash the outside of the cup so it looks good because you want everyone to know that your cup looks good because who wants to be seen drinking from a dirty cup on the outside? He goes, you wash the outside of your cup, but the inside is full of greed and self-indulgence. That's mere worthy for me. Greed and self-indulgence. Get that one. You? What are the issues of our faith? What are the issues that Jesus says, you guys, you got to lean into these. Because this is what it's about. Justice, he says, because I want you to lean into justice. Justice is when those who have power use it to protect those who don't have power. And if you're coming at life from a Judean perspective, then you come with one who has power. Most of us in the room come as people who have power because we're the Judeans of the world. 
it's not bad to be a Judean. It's not bad to be in the dominant class or the dominant party, but there are callings that God has to us if we are in that position. The, the calling that God gives to us is that we live out justice and that those of us who have power would use it to protect those who don't have power. And mercy, mercy is compassion shown to an offender or an enemy or someone under your power. Compassion to an enemy. Compassion to an offender. That's mercy. And faithfulness. And that starts with faith. And none, none of this conversation from Jesus goes forward unless we begin with faith in Jesus, to be able to trust in Jesus, to be able to say, Jesus, you're the Messiah, you're the one I follow, you're the one I believe in, you're the one I trust. That's where it begins. But faithfulness goes beyond mere trusting or mere believing in, but it is long, steady fidelity to one who has invested in your life. Now, Jesus has invested in your life. Just like Jesus had invested in the lives of his disciples and Jesus had invested in the lives of the crowd that listened and Jesus had invested in the lives of the Pharisees who were hearing him. And Jesus has invested in your life. Faith and faithfulness involves long, steady fidelity, loyalty, commitment to one who has made that kind of investment in your life. He goes, don't miss, don't miss the little things, but don't get distracted by them. But make sure you're aware of the heavy matters of following Jesus. Jesus ends this talk uh, in verse 33 with this. This is, this is where how he feels maybe begins to come out. He says, you, you snakes, you brood of vipers. How will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I'm sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly, I tell you, all this will come on this generation. And then, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The phenomenal thing about Jesus at the end of this message that he gave is that he weeps for them. He weeps for the Judeans. He weeps for the ones in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long I've wanted to gather you together like a, like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. I wanted to have you here next to me. I want you to be with me. I want your heart to be with me. I've always wanted that, he says. And he weeps over them. Because his goal has never been to condemn, but to save. 
The Son of Man did not come to judge the world or to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That's God's heart for us. Now, I don't know how that lands on you. I don't know if you need a good mirror right about now. I have one you can borrow. I don't know how that lands on you. But if you're one of the religious ones, if you're one of the ones who loves Jesus, blessed are you if you have ears to hear. Blessed am I if I have ears to hear. Jesus, I pray for us today. I pray for all of us, Lord, who are leaders in your church because these words have to land on us. We can't, we can't shed them off our back like a duck would with water. We can't set them aside. We can't ignore them. We have to engage them. They have to land on us first. And so, Lord, I just lean into that. Justice and mercy and faithfulness needs to be true in my life. Washing the greed out and the self-indulgence out of my life has to happen first. Lord, I agree. And then for our leaders and then for the rest who are, who are followers of yours and they want to please you and want to honor you, Lord, give us grace to hear you and to live out what you've called us to do and who you've called us to be. And Lord, for those who are here but not yet trusting you, not yet following you, and they're just investigating who you are, would you let them hear all of your story? And how much you love for us to be fully on board with you? Lord, would you open up their heart to you even today as they hear your word? Lord, thank you. Together we honor you, Lord Jesus. Amen.